You know, I've never been much of a Beatles fan, which I'm sure upsets some of you. You're a little bit disappointed in me, like, oh man, come on, Curtis, I thought you were a decent guy, but you're not. Um, they're undoubtedly one of the greatest rock bands of all time, no question about it. Um, I'll gladly hum along to All You Need Is Love, Hey Jude, Love, Love Me Do. Right? <laughs> sure. And though I'm not much of a Beatles fan, there is one song that has been on an endless loop in my head all week. In fact, it's not technically a Beatles song. It was released by John Lennon in December of 1971. It's entitled, Happy Christmas, War is Over. In its lyrics, Lennon sings of the old and the young, the weak and the strong, the rich and the poor, black and the white. You probably know the chorus. There's one voice that sings Happy Christmas, and the other one repeats over and over, War is over if you want it. War is over now. Now, I doubt that John Lennon, who once claimed that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus, I doubt that John Lennon was trying to make a theological statement about the true meaning of Christmas. But, that's the reason it's been spinning in my head all week. I think John Lennon was unknowingly connecting himself in that song with the good news of Christmas that predated him by 2,700 years. We see it in that fourth title Isaiah uses for the coming of the Christ child. We see it in the Prince of Peace. What does it mean for us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? What did it mean for Isaiah, and, and what does it mean for us today? And even more so, what does it mean for us to experience the peace of Christ this Christmas? Here again, Isaiah's prophetic words, written 700 years before Jesus' birth. He writes, the people walking in darkness, I think we've got it up here, do we have it? Yeah, we have it. With the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation. You have increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, we love verse 6, don't we? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the Hebrew understanding of peace was not merely the absence of chaos and, and conflict. The understanding of peace for the ancient Hebrews was the fullness of God's presence and God's power. The Hebrew word for it is shalom. It's right there in the word Jerusalem, in, in the title for God's holy city, the city of peace. One author describes shalom this way. 
Shalom is the webbing together of God and humanity and all creation in justice and fulfillment and delight. Shalom means far more than peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing and wholeness and delight. Anybody ready to sign up for that? Yeah. Universal wholeness and flourishing and delight. This is what the prophets were known for. This is what they pointed toward. This is what they said one day would come. See, this is what verse 6 looks forward to. When war is over and everybody wants it. But verses 2 through 5 are another story, aren't they? Verses 2 through 5 has a bunch of references to war. Enlarging the nation. Dividing the plunder. Shattering yokes. Warriors' boots used in battle. Garments rolled in blood. Not exactly the phrases that are printed inside our Christmas cards. <laughs> and yet, only a couple sentences away from the ones that are. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Why would Isaiah use such intense imagery? Because his world was a world in need of peace. His world was a world in need of verse 6. And so he doesn't just tell us about that world that will come, that shalom that will descend. He starts with the reality that is. He starts in verses 2 through 5. He begins where he lives. That's why he so longs for and looks forward to verse 6. Peace. So where are you this week? Are you living in verse 6, flourishing, wholeness, and delight? Or are you somewhere earlier in the passage in verses 2 through 5? There's a film released in 1991 called Grand Canyon. Uh, features Kevin Kline, who plays Mac, an immigration attorney in Los Angeles. And early on in the film, Mac is stuck in traffic after a Los Angeles Lakers game. And he breaks out of the traffic jam in his fancy car, and he attempts to get around the traffic jam, however unsuccessfully. Anybody tried that before? You can never get out of the traffic jam. Predictably, his expensive car breaks down in a dangerous neighborhood. He manages to call for a tow truck, but in the meantime, he's surrounded by five tough, streetwise muggers. They threaten to not only steal his fancy car, but to cause him bodily harm. And in the nick of time, a tow truck arrives, driven by Simon, uh, played by Danny Glover. He senses the danger that Mac is in, and so Simon takes the leader of this would-be muggers aside, and he attempts a five-sentence intervention. He says, man, the world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that, but this is not the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. And that dude's supposed to be able to wait in his car without you ripping him off. Everything is supposed to be different than what it is here. Everything is supposed to be different than what it is here. Even if you've never seen the movie, you've never been caught in a bad neighborhood with a broken down car, I think we can all agree, everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. And we know this now more than ever, don't we? We live in verses 2 through 5. Even in America, the, the most advanced nation in the history of the world. 
Conflict and chaos break out all around us, all the time, even at Christmas. The past two years have reached a fever pitch. Pressures of the pandemic, mask mandates, vaccination requirements. Let's start where we are. Let's be honest. We are at war with one another like never before, aren't we? On Thursday evening, Cassie and I, like millions of parents around the United States, received an email from our school district. Maybe you've heard about this in the news. There was a, a viral TikTok challenge. TikTok's a social media site. And there was this, this challenge to make Friday National School Shooting Day. So law enforcement officials all over our country we're working overtime trying to research the source of this challenge that had gone viral, challenging fellow students to take guns to school. Law enforcement officials working overtime trying to keep our kids and communities safe and secure. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. Now, when Isaiah wrote these prophetic words in chapter 9, kings and queens earned fame and fortune when they won a war. The phrases uh, you heard a few moments ago, right? Divide the plunder. <laughs> Enlarge the nation. In other words, this land was your land. This land is my land, right? Even shattering the yoke that burdens them follows references to Midian's defeat. So we're going to shatter the oppressor's yoke, but not after we first defeat the oppressor. In other words, 700 years before the birth of the baby in Bethlehem, this proclaimed peace was not from negotiation, where we sit down at a table and try to figure out what might work between two opposing sides. This peace was not from reconciliation, where one person might say, gosh, I really, I really messed up there. Would, would you forgive me? Can, can we be reconciled? No, this peace was not from negotiation nor reconciliation in Isaiah's day. This peace was imposed. This was an imposed peace by the one who won the war. I've enlarged the nation. I've divided the plunder. I am the one who's brought you peace. Or maybe we should say peace. No wonder Jesus' disciples didn't know what to do with him. Think about all those times in the Gospels when they couldn't stop talking about kicking Rome out of the Holy Land. And, and they would talk about who would sit on his left and his right when he came into his kingdom. And they wanted him to call down an army of angels on their enemies. Do you remember that? They wanted a holy war because they wanted peace. And it's easy to criticize the disciples. It's easy to look through the Gospels and conclude that those silly guys just didn't get it. But when it comes to making peace, I have to admit, I am a lot like them. I really am. I want peace too. And I want an imposed peace if I have to. Because I know I'm right. And I know that everyone else needs to know that I'm right. And once everyone else knows how right I am, we'll all be better for it. <laughs> Anybody else ever think like me? Thank you. I see one hand. <laughs> but Jesus' peace is a different kind of peace, isn't it? Jesus' peace is not a, an imposed peace. This is what his disciples were looking for. This is what they were longing for. And this is what we look for and long for, an imposed peace. A peace by power. John Lennon's invitation was to the old and the weak and the, the old and the young, the weak and the strong, the rich and the poor. 
who, who would he write that song to today? Who are the, the warring sides in our world? We want Christmas to be all sweet and light, and yet Jesus' arrival to bring peace on earth wasn't that simple, was it? See, Jesus arrives in the middle of the mess. Jesus arrives in verses 2 through 5. Don't you remember King Herod tries to kill little baby Jesus? Slaughters the innocents born in and around Bethlehem, any male under two, because he's so afraid that someone else is going to take his power and impose their peace. So his parents whisk baby Jesus away to Egypt while King Herod tries to take his life. When Jesus returns one day, when Jesus returns for us, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Amen? Amen. But for now, no matter how good it gets, there's still part of us that's living in verses 2 through 5, isn't there? And so Jesus' peace is not an imposed peace. We must welcome this peace. Pastor Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, how does a surgeon bring peace to your body if it has a tumor in it? The surgeon spills your blood and cuts you open because that is your only path to health. How does a therapist help a downcast, depressed person? Often, she does it by bringing up the past, by getting the patient to confront painful memories and terrible feelings. The, the surgeon and the therapist often make us feel worse before we can feel better. And those of you who have ever undergone surgery to have a tumor removed like me know it's not very comfortable. Any of you who've undertaken counseling like me know it's kind of tough. See, we often feel worse before we feel better. So often we want to fix a problem with a quick path to peace by going around it, by, by not engaging it. But the best way for peace, the best way to deal with a problem is by going right through the middle. And that's what Jesus comes to do. That's why Jesus leaves the heights of heaven to come down to this earth for us. Jesus comes to us to bring peace to every man and woman and child, but first he must be our surgeon. First, he must be our therapist. For Jesus to bring peace, he has to be like that surgeon that cuts us open, spilling our blood to bring us back to health. Like that therapist has to bring up those painful memories and those terrible feelings to return our hearts to wholeness. See, here's the point. Jesus disturbs our peace in order to bring us peace. Jesus knows that everything is supposed to be different than what it is here. And so he disturbs the self-imposed peace of verses 2 through 5 to bring us the true shalom of verse 6. Of healing and wholeness and fulfillment. So, where do you need surgery this week? How do you need therapy this week? What do we need Jesus to cut out of us that we might know peace? What do we need Jesus to talk through with us that we might know peace? War is over if we want it. But it will take our lying down on the operating table. It will require us sitting down on the couch. Or to ask it another way with Ephesians that Wendy read for us a few moments ago. Where are the dividing walls of hostility that have charted their way through our own hearts. The scriptures tell us that there's no peace on earth, that we live in verses 2 through 5 because we don't have peace with God. 
And we can respond to that in one of two ways, can't we? We can claim independence from God. We can live however we want to live. That's the irreligious option. That's why the Apostle Paul was talking in Ephesians 2 about those who were far from God. They were far from God and they were okay with it. They were doing their own thing. Or we can do all the right things all the time so God owes us and, and then he has to bring blessing into our lives. That's the religious option. What does Paul say? Jesus brings peace to those who are far away. And Jesus brings peace to those of you who were near. I don't know about where you're at this Christmas season. I don't know if you feel far away or you feel near. But here's the point. Jesus wants to bring us peace. Jesus wants to bring us healing and a wholeness. Not only our own bodies, but our relationships, many of which have ruptured recently. Therapist once told me, every relationship will rupture at one time or another, and the healthy relationships will repair. Perhaps, like me, you've experienced ruptures this year, and you're in need of repair. That's what Jesus is here for. That's the offer he gives us. If we might be so bold as to sit down on that couch, lie down on that operating table. See, to have peace with God and then to have peace with one another, we have to admit not only that we've done things we shouldn't, thought things we shouldn't, said things we shouldn't, but we have to admit that even the good things we've done have been sometimes for the wrong reason. What we need is a gospel of grace to confess that we can't bring about peace by our own strength. That's an imposition of peace. We can only bring peace by resting in the good news of what Jesus has already done for us. So this morning I want to spend a few moments seeking that peace. And I want to invite you to think very deeply about the places that you've experienced rupture recently and where you need that repair. Every relationship experiences rupture. Healthy relationships can repair. Where do you need peace? Where do you need things to be put back together? Because they're not the way they're supposed to be here. So I want to invite you uh, in a moment to close your eyes. Um, maybe you, you've tried this before. Um, and, and we're going to use our hands for a moment of prayer. And we're going to extend our hands and we're going to hold them out. And we're going we're to hold our fingers open, our palms open. And, and try to let go of the things that we've been holding on to. Let go of those ruptures. And I want to invite you as, as best as you can to, to name them in your mind. Sometimes when we come to church, we, we don't want to think about those difficult things. But, but we can't experience peace if we don't name the ruptures we've experienced. We can't experience healing and wholeness if we don't say, here's where I'm at. I'm in verses 2 through 5 right now, God. Let's own it. Let's be honest like Isaiah was. So we're going to hold our hands open and we're just going to let, let it all fall. Because we can't carry it. It's too big for us. It's too heavy. And then in a moment after that, we'll, we'll turn our, our hands with our palms up. And ask that God would give us that peace that only he can give. That he would give us the words to say to the person who's wounded us. To seek repair where there's been rupture. It seems maybe a little bit um, incongruous to, to quote John Lennon as if he was Jesus, but, 
But war is over if we want it, right? He comes to bring us peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. And so, God, we live in a world where things are not the way they're supposed to be. We live in verses 2 through 5, now more than ever. And there are differences, and there are divisions, but every relationship ruptures. So God, we own that. We want to be honest about that, authentic about it. We hold our hands now, God, holding our hands open and our, and our palms down. And we ask that you would help us to let go of those hurts that we've received, those ruptures that we've experienced. You'd help us to let go of thinking that we can fix it, that we can impose peace because we know better. We don't. So God, as we hold our hands open for a few moments, would you call to mind those things we need to let go of? And would you help us to do it? God, we now turn our hands with our palms up. We ask that you would give us your peace. We know it's not an imposed peace. It's a peace that has to be welcomed, that has to be received. Would you give us a peace that transcends understanding, that will guard our hearts and our minds in your son Jesus, the one who comes to us as the Prince of Peace. Would you give us the words to say in our worry and our weariness, the places that we've been wounded? Would you guide us to those people with whom we need reconciliation? Father, we know that we can't get to verse 6 on our own, but you can guide us there. We pray that you would do so in the strong and the steady name of Jesus, Prince of Peace. Amen.